Section 10 of An English Woman's Love Letters. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. An English Woman's Love Letters by Anonymous. Section 10. Letters 38 through 40. Letter 38. Dearest, St. Mark's inside is entirely different from anything I had imagined. I had expected a grove of pillars, instead of these wonderful breadths of wall. And the marble overlay I had not understood at all till I saw it. My admiration mounts every time I enter. It has a different gloom from any I have ever been in, more joyous and satisfying, not in the least moody, as our own Gothic seems sometimes to be. And saints instead of devils look at you solemn-eyed, from every corner of shade. A heavy rain turns the piazza into a lake. This morning Arthur had to carry me across. Other foolish English women were shocked at such means, and paddled their own leaky canoes, or stood on the brink and looked miserable. The effect of rain-pool reflections on the inside of St. Mark's is noticeable, causing it to bloom unexpectedly into fresh subtleties and glories. The gold takes so sympathetically to any least tint of colour that is in the air, and counts up the altar-candles even unto its furthest recesses and cupolas. I think before I leave Venice I shall find about ten tintorettos, which I really like. Best of all is the Bacchus and Ariadne in the Ducal Palace, of which you gave me the engraving. His Marriage of St. Catherine, which is there also, has all Veronese's charm of colour, and what I call his breeding, and in the ceiling of the council chamber is one splendid figure of a sea-youth striding a dolphin. Last evening we climbed the San Giorgio Campanile for a sunset view of Venice. It is a much better point of view than the St. Mark's one, and we were lucky in our sunset. Venice again looked like a beautiful factory town, blue and blue with smoke and evening mists. Down below in the church I met a delightful Capuchin priest who could talk French, and a poor, very young lay-brother who had the holy custody of the eyes heavenly upon his conscience when I spoke to him. I was so sorry for him. The mother-aunt is still in bed, but she is at the present moment receiving three visitors. You will understand about how ill. The fact is she is worn to death with sight-seeing. I can't stop her. While she is on her legs, it is her duty, and she will. The consequence is I get rushed through things I want to let soak into me, and have to go again. My only way of getting her to rest has been by deserting her, and then I come back and receive reproaches with a meek countenance. Mr. C. has been good to us and cordial, and brings his gondola often to our service. A gondola and pair has quite a different motion from a one-oared gondola. It is like riding a sea-horse instead of a sea-camel, almost exciting, only it is so soft in its prancings. He took A and myself into the procession, which welcomed the crowned heads last Wednesday. The hurly-burly of it was splendid. We tore down the Grand Canal from end to end, almost cheek by jowl with the royalties. The M.A. was quite jubilant when she heard we had had such good places. 
Hundreds of gondolas swarmed around, many of them in the old Carpaccio rigouts, very gorgeous, though a little tawdry, when taken out of the canvas. But the rush and the collisions, and the sound of many waters walloping under the bellies of the gondolas, and the blows of fighting oars, regular underwater wrestling matches, made it as vivid and amusing as a prolonged Oxford and Cambridge boat race in fancy costume. Our gondoliers streamed with the exertion, and looked like men fighting a real battle, and yet enjoyed it thoroughly. Violent altercations with police boats don't ruffle them at all. At one moment it looks daggers drawn, at the next it is shrugs and smiles. Often, from not knowing enough of Italian and Italian ways, I get hot all over when an ordinary discussion is going on, thinking that blows are about to be exchanged. The mother-aunt had hung a wonderful satin skirt out of a window for decoration, and when she leaned over it in a bodice of the same colour, it looked as if she was sitting with her legs out as well. I suppose it was this peculiar effect that, when the king and queen came by earlier in the morning, one for her a special bow and smile. I must hurry, or I shall miss the post that I wish to catch. There seems little chance now of my getting you in Venice, but everywhere else, perhaps, you will drop to me out of the clouds. Your own and most loving. Letter 39 My own, own beloved, say that my being away does not seem so long. I have not had a letter yet, and that makes me somehow not anxious, but compunctious. Only writing to you of all I do helps to keep me in good conscience. Not the other foot, gone to the menders, I hope, with the same obstructive accompaniments as went to the setting up again of the last. If I don't hear soon, you will have me dancing on wires, which cost as much by the word as a gondola by the hour. Yesterday we went to see the Carpaccio at its best in San Diego, de Chiavon, two are St. George pictures, three St. Jerome's, and two of some other saint unknown to me. The St. Jerome series is really a homily on the love and pathos of animals. First is St. Jerome in his study, with a sort of unclipped white poodle in the pictorial place of honour, all alone on a floor beautifully swept and garnished, looking up wistfully to his master, busy at writing. A benchy saying, Come and take me for a walk, there's a good saint. Scattered among the adornments of the room are small bronzes of horses, and I think birds. So, of course, these being his tastes, when St. Jerome goes into the wilderness, a lion takes to him, and accompanies him when he pays a call on the monks in the neighboring monastery. Thereupon, holy men of little faith, the entire fraternity, take to their heels and rush upstairs the hindermost clinging to the skirts of the foremost to be hauled the quicker out of harm's way and all the while the lion stands incorrectly offering the left paw and jerome with shrugs tries to explain that even the best butter wouldn't melt in his dear lion's mouth after that comes the tragedy st jerome lies dying in excessive odour of sanctity and all the monks crowd round him with prayers and viaticums and the ordinary stuffy pieties of a happy death, while Jerome wonders feebly what it is he misses in all this to do, for which he cares so little. And there, elbowed far out into the cold, the lion lies, and lifts his poor head and howls, because he knows his master is being taken from him. Quite near to him, fastened to a tree, a queer, nondescript, 
crocodile-shaped dog runs out the length of its tether to comfort the disconsolate beast. But La Bête Humaine has got the whip-hand of the situation. In another picture is a parrot that has just mimicked a dog, or called Carlo, and then laughed. The dog turns his head away with a sleek, sheepish, shy look, exactly as a sensitive dog does when you make fun of him. There are, perhaps, mere undercurrents of pictures which are quite glorious in colour and design, but they help me to love Carpiccio to distraction, and when the others lose me, they hunt through all the Carpaccios in Venice till they find me. Love me a little more, if possible, while I am so long absent from you. What I do and what I think go so much together now, that you will take what I write as the most of me that it is possible to cram in, coming back to you to share everything. Under such an Italian sky as today, how I would like to see your face. Here, dearest, among these places, you would be in your peerage, for I think you have some southern blood in you. Curious that, with all my fairness, somebody said to me today, But you are not quite English, are you? And I swore by the nine gods of my ancestry that I was nothing else. But the look is in us. My father had a foreign air, but made up for it by so violent a patriotism that Uncle N. used to call him John Bull Let Loose. My love to England. Is it showing much autumn yet? My eyes long for green fields again. Since I have been in Italy, I have not seen one until the other day from the top of St. Giorgio Maggiore, where one lies in hiding under the monastery walls. All that I see now quickens me to fresh thoughts of you. Yet do not expect me to come back wiser. My last effort at wisdom was to fall in love with you, and there I stop for good and all. There I am still, everything included. What do you want more? My letter and my heart both threaten to be overweight, so no more of them this time. Most dearly do I love you. Letter 40 Beloved, if two days slip by, I don't know where I am when I come to write. Things get so crowded in such a short space of time. Where I left off, I know not. I will begin where I am most awake. Your letter, which I have just received. That is well, dearest, that is well indeed, a truce till February, and since the struggle then must needs be a sharp one, with only one end, as we know, do not vex her now by any overt signs of preparation, as if you assumed already that her final arguments were to be as so much chaff before the wind. You do not tell me what she argues, and I do not ask. She does not say I shall not love you enough. To answer business-like to your questions first, with your forgiveness, we stay here till the 25th, and get back to England with the last of the month. Does that seem a very cruel, far-off date? Others have the wish to stay even longer, and it would be no fairness to hurry them beyond a certain degree of reasonableness with my particular reason for impatience, seeing, moreover, that in your love I have every help for remaining patient. It is too much to hope, I suppose, that the truce sets you free now, and that you could meet us here after all, and prolong our stay indefinitely? I know one besides myself who would be glad, and who would welcome an outside excuse dearly. 
for oh the funniness of near and dear things arthur's heart is laid up with a small love affair and it is the comicalest of internal maladies he is screwing up courage to tell me all about it and i write in haste before my mouth is sealed by his confidences i fancy i know the party an energetic little mortal whom we met at lucerne where arthur lingered while we came on to florence she talked vaguely of being in venice some time this autumn and the vagueness continues arthur in consequence roams round and disconsolately with no interest but in hotel books and for fear lest we should gird up his loins and drag him away with us out of paradisal possibilities he is forever praising venice as a resting-place and saying he wants to be nowhere else the bathing just keeps him alive but when put to it to explain what charms him since pictures do not and architecture only slightly he says in exemplary brotherly fashion that he likes to see me completing my education and enthusiasms and does not realize with how foreign an air that explanation sits upon his shoulders i saw to-day a remnant of your patron saint and for your sake transferred a kiss to it italian fashion with my thumb and the sign of the cross i hope it will do you good also i have been up among the galleries of st mark's and about the roof and the west front where somebody or another painted his picture of the bronze horses the pigeons get to recognize people personally and grow more intimate every time we come i even conceive they make favorites for i had three pecking food out of my mouth to-day and refusing to take it in any other fashion and they coo and say thank you before and after every seed they take or spill they are quite the pleasantest of all the italian beggars and the cleanest your friend pressed us in to tea yesterday i think less for the sake of giving us tea than that we should see his palace or rather his first floor in which alone he seems to lose himself i have no idea for measurements but i imagine his big sala is about eighty feet long and perhaps twenty-five feet across with a flat-beamed roof windows at each end and portieres along the walls of old blue venetian linen a place in which it seems one could only live and think nobly his face seems to respond to its teachings what more might not an environment like that bring out in you come and let me see i have hopes springing as i think of things that you may be coming after all and that that is what lay concealed under the gaiety of your last paragraph then i am more blessed even than i knew what you are coming so well i do love you my beloved End of section 10